Monday, April 25th, it's the call-up, and we have a continuation of this top 100 MLB prospects rundown as Jack McMullen joins me to go through it all. I went through 100 to 81 on Friday, and thank goodness you're here, Jack, to now help me go from 81 or 80 to 61 is what we'll do. Yeah, good job with the numbers there. 80 to 61. You want to think that it's 180, but that's technically 21, right? Correct. That, that Correct. was, that was kind of like mine, you know, wanting me a little bit on, on Friday. I was tired. I had a long day and I was like, is it a hundred to, to 80 or is it a hundred to 81? Yeah. By that, you mean mind messing, right? Mind messing with me. Yeah. I don't like to use <laughs> that word too often, um, but we're, we're going to talk about now. I mean, here's the thing. I love all of my top 100, you know, Babies, baby. I would say that I yeah. wrote up and spent Love so much all time the same, on. but one is just a little bit better than a hundred. Yes. <laughs> and each time we go down, one's a little bit better than the other. Here's the thing. You don't rank your children, but in this instance, you know, we, we rank these guys. My, many of them are very young. Many of them are very good. Um, and the cool thing is, is as we chronologically go down and, and break this up in the next three episodes, the players get better as we keep going, which is super cool. So the beauty of this for the next 15 years is you are still uh, too young to be any of their fathers. So what you said cannot be interpreted poorly. Um, now, if Jonathan Mayo or Jim Callis said it, then like, yeah, okay. That, it's a little weird. creepy. A little weird. I would say this top 100 as a collective article is your baby though. So this is one, you don't have a hundred kids because some of these guys are older than you or, you know, just a couple of years younger than you. So let's call this article your baby and we'll roll with it. Um, how about me though, selfishly opting out of 181? Yeah. Um, yeah. Such, such a, such a dick move. Just, yeah, I left the back. I, those guys aren't through. good enough for me. Exactly. Those guys aren't good enough exactly. for me to talk. About. I know my worth. Okay. <laughs> so your worth starts at Kobe Mayo. Yes. My worth starts at Kobe Mayo. And, and Kobe Mayo is damn good. Uh, and, and Mayo is a guy locally, you know, I, I'd been hearing about as a South Florida kid, he went to, to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, which is where Anthony Rizzo went, uh, which is where Jesus Lizardo went, Colton Welker. Uh, it's a pipeline for, for big league talent. And also, uh, you know, they, I was actually just talking about this with one of my buddies. We played a fall tournament and my goodness, they trounce the crap out of us uh, in, in that game. Just so much talent that comes out of that school. And, and Mayo is going to be just the latest addition to that. He's 20 years old. He was a fourth round pick in 2020, uh, third baseman in the Orioles system. Uh, but when you look at the fourth round thing, I always say, like, ignore the, the round when it's a high school guy. Look at the bonus. He got late first round, early second round signing bonus type money. Uh, and he's that good. He really is that good. He's 6'5", 215 pounds. And right out of the gate, you know, to his professional career in 2021 looked phenomenal. At the complex, he was he showed that he was way more advanced than they initially thought he might be. Showed that he was just too good for the complex. So he went to low A. 
And he mashed in low A as a 19 year old in 27 games, hit 311, 416, 547. Uh, with only a 21% K rate. I can't emphasize enough. I mean, you, you see it firsthand, Jack, like anecdotally, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can just tell you anecdotally when a high school guy makes the jump to low A, it's typically rough. It's typically rough unless it's a, a top 10 pick uh, and Kobe Mayo. Yes. He got first round or early second round money, but for a guy that wasn't selected as one of the top high school dudes, to really just roll out of bed and, and hit it low a the way he did is extremely encouraging. Yeah. So it's really hard to hit it low a when you're a high school guy, you know, your first year of professional baseball, getting up to low a as a high school draftee. That's not common whatsoever. And then how about starting your second professional season as a high school draftee again in high a that's even harder. High A is a next level over low A and high A. He's struggling a little bit at the gate. He's hitting 232 in 14 games, but he's seeing a lot of pitches. He doesn't look overmatched by the level. And I think that's what you saw with Kobe Mayo last year, right? He was great at the complex. You know, obviously you can't really watch those games. I know you watched a ton of his low A stint at the end of the year and he was going scorched earth at the low A level. He looked too good for low A as a high school draftee. So With any of those guys that look like they're not phased, you latch on and you just roll with them. A hundred percent. And here's the thing with Mayo is he's six, five, two fifteen. So, I mean, he's one of those guys that typically it's like, Oh, it's going to be rough. Uh, The the hit tool might take a little while, but plus plus raw power projection, you know, like just, just be patient. But ultimately he surprised a lot of people with how advanced the field to hit was. And has, has he tapped into the raw power yet? Not totally, uh, but we've already seen flashes of it. I mean, you look at the last 41 games, he's got seven home runs between low A and high A. Uh, yeah. We're seeing the power trickle in more and more. He's going to continue to tap into it more and fill out uh, as he continues to just you know get that man strength. He's still just 20 years old and a young 20. Uh, but Kobe Mayo is going to have plus plus raw power and an above average field to hit. He's somebody that I'm looking by the end of this year, I think very well could be in the top 50 uh, and has a lot of helium and a lot of potential uh, to climb up the list very soon. But another really good prospect, the Orioles do a great job of doing this and which is finding guys that have a better feel to hit than most people think. And then hoping the power continues to develop. That has worked really well for them as of late. And Mayo is kind of the latest addition to that. So with that build being a third baseman that Kobe Mayo is, um, do you know what name I'm going to say right now with solid field to hit and a chance to develop massive raw power? Like as a prospect? Yeah. Jordan Walker? Nah, well, kind of as a prospect. Are you talking about like Jordan Walker? No, I'm talking, well, a couple of years ago, not a couple of years ago, several years ago, I'm talking about Chris Bryant with a 6'5", 215 build. Obviously, Bryant was second overall pick out of college. It's very different, but with that build, with the field of hit, that feels like if Chris Bryant was a high school draftee, that's what you're kind of dreaming on with him. So I think if Baltimore is dreaming on a scenario right now, it's probably something like Chris Bryant. I think that's fair because you know what? If Kobe Mayo went to college, he forewent his his commitment to University of Florida. He probably would have been in the number two overall pick. I mean, exactly. look at what he's doing to, to low A pitching out of the gate. That's already a higher level of what you're going to see in college easily could kind of have that Chris Bryant type of mold. I think that's a very, a very fair comparison because he's a sneaky good athlete and already posts above average runtime. So very excited about Kobe Mayo uh, over with the Baltimore Orioles. Checking in at 79 is one of my 
more. I, I think this is one of the guys that we look at the list. Probably we're higher on than, than anybody else. Yes. Uh, I don't think I've seen Jairo Pomares this high anywhere else. Uh, outfielder in the San Francisco Giants system. You know, Pomares is risky. I mean, they're, they're, he's more risky than some of the other guys that we're going to mention in this range. Uh, but a left-handed stroke that I really like in terms of the raw power, it's really impressive. We talk about the numbers from last year between low A and high A as a 20-year-old. 334, 378, 629 slash line, 20 home runs, 48 extra base hits, a 155 WRC plus. Here's the one thing that, I, you know, we got to follow. 26% K rate, 5% walk rate. Uh, he's an aggressive swinger. The power's there, uh, but I am worried a little bit at the upper levels, you know, if, if he gets blown up a little bit by more advanced pitching. But I, I think there's just too much upside here uh, to not have him inside of the top 100. If anybody is going to develop Pomares into being a more selective hitter with better bat to ball, it's the San Francisco Giants. That's just how the Giants work. And he's surrounded by incredible baseball players in Eugene right now at the high A level. He's got a lot of very good hitters that he can lean on. The beauty of a deep system like San Francisco is Pomares is going to learn stuff from Luis Matos. Pomares is going to learn stuff from Marco Luciano. Pomares is going to learn stuff from Hunter Bishop. Pomares is going to learn stuff from Patrick Bailey. That's just how that system works. You surround lions with other lions. They're going to be ferocious. You surround lions with sheep and they're going to develop sheepish tendencies. Pomares is a lion that is surrounded by lions. Uh, absolutely. I think that's the best way to put it. And, and honestly, he's been okay out of the gate. Luis Matos is really struggling. Marco Luciano is succeeding. You know, so you could learn from Luis Matos struggles. You can learn from Marco Luciano's success. Uh, and, and what really stands out to me with Pomares is his body control is, is really advanced. He, his pitch recognition is pretty good. Uh, that's why I think it's more of a mindset mindset in terms of who he wants to be as a hitter right now. He's a guy that's always looking to do damage. But a 900 OPS or better against fastballs, breaking balls, and changeups. So there really was no way to get him other than nibble at the corners and get him to get himself out. But in terms of, yes. of what pitches to attack him with, he hits them all. And that's a testament to the body control. And seven of his home runs last year traveled 110 plus miles per hour. So for a 20 year old that's still figuring himself out as a hitter, that's crazy raw power. He had 50 batted balls that clocked 105 miles per hour last season. That is well, 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 well above average, bordering elite for the lower levels of the minor leagues for his, for his age. Uh, I'll bet on that left-handed bat in, in that system uh, any day of the week. So I'm very excited about Pomares. And, and the next step for him in the maturation process to is to make sure that he doesn't get the Javi Baez treatment when he comes up, right? Where you don't throw a strike to Javi Baez. If you throw a strike, there's a chance he does damage, but if you don't throw strikes to him, he's still going to get himself out by chasing. And that's the case with a lot of young electrifying bats like Pomares. If you stay out of the zone, he's going to fall his way into a strikeout more times than not. The next step that can make Pomares a top 50 guy, and we'll see how the swing continues to develop because this guy, when he's on the cusp, could be a top 25 prospect in all of baseball. Um, the next step that needs to happen there is him not getting out when guys don't throw him strikes. And Matos is going through the same thing right now. Matos has a good feel to hit, and he feels like he can hit everything. Uh, and, and you got to separate those two things. So good thing to follow, but extremely excited about Gyro Pomares. Checking in at 78 is a guy that you know, has immense upside, but at the same time, we haven't seen a ton of, and 
is just hard to really get a pulse on in terms of where to rank him. But again, it's one of those where the upside is just, is just too tantalizing to not have him in the top 100. Brady House, shortstop as of now uh, in the Washington Nationals organization. He's 18 years old. He's 6'4", 220 pounds, 11th overall pick in 2021. Uh, the power is off the charts. He looks really good through 16 games in the complex last year uh, where you, you saw flashes of the power. Uh, you, you saw what was a surprisingly better feel to hit than, and again, than, than some had thought. And again, just some sneaky athleticism there for a big dude with big time raw power. 11th overall selection because a lot of teams really started to get excited about him ahead of the draft. A guy that had a lot of helium. Uh, but, you know, there's a little bit of length to his swing. Seems like he could get blown up by Velo at times. But overall, he's had a pretty simple setup. And uh, his ABs have been pretty encouraging thus far. As a guy with his kind of upside, as I mentioned, it's just hard not to have Brady House in the top 100. But admittedly, you know, looks are limited thus far. Yeah. And, and what I like about what you mentioned is, yes, the swing is a little bit long, but his process to get into the swing is, is very quiet. short. It's quiet. It's simple. Dude, that, if, that's why I'm a believer. And and also, he's been good out of the gate. Have you seen his numbers thus far? Yeah, very about a guy. So that was, I was worried. I thought he'd get blown up, you know, because I'm like, okay, swing's a little bit long. But as you mentioned, the pre-swing moves, he doesn't do much. He's like, okay, I'm 6'4", 200 and whatever pounds. I'm, I'm strong as hell. I'm just going to let my natural strength eat. So he's quiet, simple, and just tries to be as direct as he can. And, and I think he does a pretty good job of that for his age. So when Harper first came up, he was, um, and I'm not just saying this because of Nationals, and I don't think Brady House is going to have the power that Bryce Harper had when he first came up. But when Bryce Harper first came up, he did the Otani, you know, toe, heel, the mound, right? That's what he did, and he turned and burned. Otani does that toe, heel, the mound, turn and burn. Those guys have so much raw power. They have so much natural power that they don't need this massive leg kick. Um, Eduardo Perez just mentioned it on Sunday Night Baseball last night with Christian Yelich. When Yelich won his MVP, his foot was down way earlier than it is now. And I guess that might just be something that he's trying to do to accumulate more power into the swing now. He feels like he has less of it. But if Yelich got his foot down as early as he did during his MVP season, his bat to ball would be so much better. And I guarantee it with house. If you're simple, you can survive with a longer swing than typical because you just took half the battle out of the equation before the guy even extends towards you 60 feet, six inches away. So I am a believer in house as well. And this is a guy, and you said a shortstop for now. Um, you've got a 35 grade on his field ability at the moment. Um, I think I'm with you there. Like, I think he's a third baseman, but he's got 40 homer potential. And if yeah. he sticks it short and plays average short and is a 40 homer shortstop. And exactly. And it's 35 presently because he's just he's just a six four kid from high school trying to, to get his feet under him out there. And he's 220. He's not a lanky six four. No. So I think there's a chance where he can figure it out. He's actually been better than I think a lot of people anticipated. Uh, but again, if he moves to third, the bat can accommodate that. And the, the last point I'll, to, to kind of piggyback on what you just said, what I always like to see from, from hitters like that is, you know, if you have the ability to run into power and he's already put up one Oh sevens in terms of exit below, and I can promise you it's going to get better than that. He's still just 18. If you have the ability to tap into above average, power game power without moving much 
because you're a large human being who is very physical and you can leverage that by not making a lot of extraneous movements. That's a huge advantage, right? If you're super strong and you have crazy raw power, leverage that advantage by making your swing as simple as possible and improving your ability to just make frequent contact. House seems to be doing that. And so far through 15 low A games, again, a big jump for a high schooler. He is hitting 379, 455, 530 with a 22% K rate, 9% walk rate, a pair of home runs. So now through his first 31 pro games, he's already left the yard six times. And I've also been very impressed at his ability to use the whole field. Very excited. House is another guy that if he has a big year, you're going to see him flying up everybody's lists. Yes. Coming in at now 77, maybe just a, probably just a totally different kind of prospect from everybody else we've just talked about because Correct. his proximity, he's very close, but the upside I would say is not nearly as high as anybody we just mentioned. Correct. Matthew Libertor, Southpaw in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Libertor, 6'4", 200 pounds, left-hander, 16th overall pick by the Rays back in 2018, as you know, was later traded for Randy Arozarena in that larger deal. 2021 was solid for him. You know, 124 and two-thirds innings, a 404 ERA, a 426 FIP, struck out 24% of batters, only walked 6% of batters. That's a guy you look at and say, okay, he's definitely going to be a big leaguer, but is he going to be a guy that consistently gets you outs every fifth day? There's still hope that he can be that guy that he can be a guy that you can really lean on and be more of the number three. But yeah. I'm seeing a lot of number four here, Jack, uh, in terms of where he lines up in a, in a rotation. Let's drill this into everybody right now. Matthew Liberator's curveball is not as good as you think it is. That is, that's an important point. That is an important point. I've tried to, I've tried to make that one clear. The 70 grades on the curveball are Purely based off of, of visible, like what you see. Aesthetic. Visibility. Aesthetics is the better word. The slider is a great pitch, actually. It's the better one. There we go, right? It's the Mackenzie Gore treatment. The, the majestic looping curveball at 74 miles an hour, 72 miles an hour. Might tick down to 70. It looks great. Kershaw makes it look awesome. Uh, what, Rob Friedman calls it the Cooperstown curveball, right? Mm -hmm. That's Kershaw's thing. It's that big looping action. Kershaw's slider is what made him a Hall of Famer. Yep. Let's factor that in. Mackenzie Gore's slider is his best secondary offering. Libby is mid-90s. The slider is the best secondary offering. The curveball gets hit a lot. Sharp curveballs. We've talked to Colby Olsen about it. Those are the it pitch right now. The power curve is back, folks, and Liberator doesn't have it. He's got a good fastball. Eh, he's got a fine fastball. I'm going to walk that back. He's got a fine fastball that mid, that's mid-90s, but doesn't run, doesn't carry. It's just mid-90s. It's your generic fastball. The curveball is looping. It gets hit hard. He telegraphs it. You know, It's got that classic pop out of your hand. You can read it out of his hand, and guys do some damage on it. The slider is great. The changeup has some room to seriously improve. I think if he is fastball slider changeup and you mix in some curveballs a la Rodon last year and this year, he can be really effective. But again, I'm with you. I see four. Yeah. And that that's still a top 100 prospect, right? Because, and I was going to say like, Jack, so then why is he a top 100 guy? Because I feel like that would be the follow-up question. His um, consistent fours for a decade and a half in Major League Baseball are top 100 guys. And mind you, he's 22 in AAA. So right. I still think he could get, he can get better from the lens of just 
again, we talk about pitchability. He's going to learn how to utilize his stuff more and more and how to mask the weaknesses, leverage the strengths. And this is a guy that's still talented, right? He's above average talent with above average field of pitch and above average, just maturity overall. What I've been really encouraged by and what made me more solid in, in the ranking of Libertor in the top 100 is the development of the changeup. I think it's looked really good. He's throwing it a lot more in the early going this year. He was throwing it a lot more in spring training. That's really encouraging for me because we talk about the fastball being very average at times he, he reaches back and has a little bit extra. That's been exciting to see. Uh, but the changeup will allow that fastball to play up a little bit and we're seeing him use it a lot more. There's hope that he can be that, you know, average three still. And, you know, that's still a top 100 prospect when you're a 22 year old who just put up a very respectable season at AAA after never having pitched above low A. Yeah, I'm in. No, I I think Libby, first of all, I think Libby should be up right now. (laughs) I think that he is a better starting pitcher option than the Jordan Hicks experiment that's going on right now. I think Hicks is a great setup guy. I don't think he's a starting pitcher anymore. I know he was in minor league baseball, but I think you are given a better chance to win every fifth day. If you have Libby on the hook for five or six innings, if he, you know, is really working well um, and then Hicks for two innings in the seventh and eighth, um, as opposed to Hicks for the front three, and then you got to piece it together. Absolutely. And one last point on, on Libertor too, because you talk about that, like if he gives you five innings, you're happy, right? Like you don't oh, have to so go happy. You don't have to go around the, the order three times. Um, and, and he's starting to learn though, uh, how to mask that curveball. So he's using the curveball less. And if you look at Kershaw, a big reason why, why the curveball works so well is he doesn't, at least when he was at his peak, he wasn't throwing it all the freaking time. So hitters saw more of it and more of it. It was fastball slider. He's so Libertor is doing that now. And the curveball is playing up more than it ever has. So I, again, he's feeling for his arsenal and that's extremely encouraging. And I do think that Libertor can help the Cardinals in the near future. Uh, at 76, Jack, I, I know you're going to love this one because I, I love any him. good college performer, I know you are all the way in on, as you, you like to say, Sal Freelich, Milwaukee Brewers outfielder. The Brewers have done a really good job, uh, I think, with their last few drafts. Yes. Uh, and Garrett Mitchell has not panned out yet the way we were hoping. But hell, dude, I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, if Garrett Mitchell doesn't work out, that would have been a pick that I, if I was a GM, you know, I would have got that one wrong uh, because I, I really thought Garrett Mitchell was kind of that guy you could steal. Uh, it's yeah. not like it's done for him or anything like that, but the reality is we're going to talk about two Milwaukee Brewer outfielders here and neither of them are Garrett Mitchell. Sal Freelich was a 15th overall pick in 2021. Uh, and dude, he was phenomenal at Boston college. Uh, a big question with him was how much is he going to impact the baseball? And I think that was why we didn't see him as a sure thing a surefire top 10 pick. Uh, But to me, he still should have been because this is a dude that has a plus hit tool already. I think he's going to be a plus plus hitter. He's a plus runner and he's an above average defender and center. I mean, if you can even dream on, on average power, which I think you can dream on above average power with Freelick, what is he missing? Nothing. That's that. I was going to say, I don't know if you can dream on above average power with him, but I don't think you need above average power with him. I think in a perfect world, Sal Freelich is an all-star because he's hitting 315 with 15 homers. Yeah. I'm in on that. Yeah. And here's the thing. He walks a lot. He doesn't strike out a lot. 
So this yeah. guy is not going to have the, the Nick Madrigal 310, 310, 310 slash line. It's going to be 310, 400, 405. Yep. What if I told you South Freelick hit a ball 110 miles per hour this year? Already? Yep. Okay. Then that could possibly change my thought process. He is I a still don't know. I still think you're right, though. I still think average is more fair. Yeah, so let's say average power, but this guy, what I love about him, um, I, I love that he was a high-floor college bat. <laughs> I Correct. love that he was a Boston College Eagle. That's actually what I truly love about him. But from an analytic perspective, um, what I love about Sal Freelick is this is a guy, again, with a very simple setup. All he is is bat to ball. Yep. It's so simple. No extraneous movement. There's nothing flying around. It is, I've got the barrel here. Let's throw my hands at the baseball and let's drive a double the other way. I think this guy is the type that will have 35 doubles in a year. And the slugging percentage is mostly going to come from doubles. I'm cool with that. Give Um, me the doubles leader. And triples. And triples. The guy flies. He flies. He's going to climb through the minors quickly. He doesn't swing and miss. Uh, Again, you talk about how simple his swing is. It is as simple as it's almost it's so relaxing to watch to me because I'm like, I don't have to worry about this guy. I, you know what like, it feels like? It feels like generic stance one. Yeah. Like, yeah right. If you were to does. go on a video game and just like you do a creative player, it's the baseline swing that you have generic stance one. And I love it. And here's the thing that I really like about Freelick is he probably will be an average power guy at best. But I, I think you can look at above average production because he he's going to hit them out. I think in Milwaukee, the field to hit is impressive. The field for gaps is impressive. The pull side power is bordering on above average. That was, it was a ball that he pulled one ten. Uh, when he gets one that he pulls, he stays on his backside so well that you really see the athleticism almost explode on the baseball. It's like you're looking at a plus runner. You see his lower half almost translate through explosion on the baseball, and that's why every once in a while, Freelich's going to hit a ball, and you're like, Sal Freelich hit that. Like there's going to be balls that he gets in in the right spot and he crushes them. And, and just adding that to his game is amazing. He's got tools across the board. I love free. Like he's a high floor guy, but he, his ceiling is still pretty, pretty darn high because I believe in the bat and the athleticism that much. And especially if he sticks in center, which I believe the, the general belief is that he will. And on top of that, highly regarded for the makeup as well uh, in terms of the way he approaches the game and just uh, the professional uh, just approach he has to baseball. I'm in on it, man. And we know that the Brewers need offense right now. And those arms, by the way, locked up for a little bit, their window is open for the next couple of years. And if Freelick is up to possibly break camp next year, which is what he actually could do. I think that is a very solid center field option. And it's better than what they've run out in center for the last couple of years especially with Lorenzo Cain coming off the books now and, and probably, you know, uh, a guy that is, is on his way out of baseball. And now they're getting that upgrade with a, a fresh rejuvenated young player out there. Uh, but another big masher that could help the, this big league club. I think at some point this year, if needed, but plays for one of the deepest clubs in baseball, Mark Vientos, third baseman slash outfielder with the New York Mets. And, Vientos is one of the guys that I've really, really bought in on in terms of his power. Uh, talk about some of the more effortless power I've ever seen. Uh, he mishits baseballs that leave the yard. He was a guy that was drafted in the second round as a shortstop in 2017. He's very much not a shortstop. He's very much a third baseman at best. Could be a corner outfielder. He's 6'4", 190 pounds. Uh, 
mashed 25 home runs last year, has been off to a bit of a slow start through 15 games this season. Not really a big deal. Don't don't really care. Not that worried about it. Uh, he looked a little bit out, out of whack when I saw him in, in spring training in terms of just feeling out his swing. And I think that kind of translated or, or carried over into the early going this year. Uh, but Mark Vientos has some of the most ridiculous power you're going to see foul pole to foul pole and drastically improved his approach last season, upped his walk rate to the highest levels really of his career, uh, really tripled it up almost from what was his first full season in low A in 2019. Uh, I really do believe in the power. There's going to be some frustrating bouts. I think at times he'll go cold on you, uh, but I just think there's just too much effortless pop here uh, for him not to, to have some sort of success at the big league level. Yes. The big knock on Vientos in the early goings is that he's not lifting the ball at all right now. Um, both stops, double A and triple A in 2021, his ground ball rate was sub 40%. Um, they were both actually closer to 30%. This year, he's got a 63% ground ball rate. When I checked earlier last week, because um, I'm in Indianapolis now, I was like, O'Neill Cruz is putting the ball on the ground a lot. O'Neill Cruz was second among AAA hitters in ground ball rate, only to Mark Vientos. Yeah. So Vientos and O'Neill Cruz, guys that live and will make millions and millions of dollars off of putting the ball in the air and having it leave ballparks, we're leading AAA baseball in ground ball rate. So those two both have to figure it out. Vientos especially, because in the early goings, it was up around 70%, yeah. which was not good whatsoever. Um, but Vientos, this past week, did a lot better of a job of lifting the baseball. And when he lifts the baseball, you're right. When he miss hits balls, they leave the yard. He's got tons of power. He's got tons of torque and momentum in that swing. Not torque like Torkelson. I'm talking T-O-R-Q-U-E, torque. There is some to torque impact, though. There is some back. torque impact. I'm talking a little bit more whippy of emotion than yeah. Torkelson. Um, yeah, like I, I think Vientos, when he is right, his fly ball rate is hanging right around 40%. His line drive rate is hanging right around 20 to 25%. And he's impacting baseballs twice a game. Absolutely. And he, he's put up some of the best exit velos you're going to see in the minors. Uh, and one final thought on, on Vientos to, to build on what you just said. Vientos is one of the best in the minor leagues when it comes to uh, home run to fly ball rate. So the percentage of fly balls that you hit that leave the yard, which are a testament to the power that you have, he was around 28% last year. So just getting the ball in the air is good news when you're yes. somebody like that. Great he's news. not doing that right now. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's because when you see guys like that with a high ground ball rate, it's because their swing's out of whack or their body control is a little bit out of whack. And uh, if you're drifting or your barrel's dragging, whatever it could be, pitch selection results in those higher ground ball rates. I'm not too worried about it. It's very obvious what the issue is. Uh, and, and I think he'll get to the bottom of it. It's not like he's punching out 50% of the time. No. Uh, there is some swing and miss in the early going, but that's always going to be where he's at. And he's only about 5% higher than he was last year at about 33%. He'll get that down to 28 and he'll be fine. We just need to see him get the ball in the air and, and Viento should be back to what he did last year. He's also got zero protection in that lineup. Syracuse is the worst team by far in AAA baseball. And that's you a good only point too. Focus, just walk it. Yeah. Just don't, just don't pitch to him or nibble at the corners. And that's another thing is, is be more, more patient. That's a challenge for Vientos. Right. I understand, you know, like in minor league baseball, it's all about the individual thing, but you know, just look at the other eight in the batting order. When you don't have to concern yourself with the other eight, you can focus on the stud that can kill you. If I'm a pitcher trying to make it to the big leagues, which they are, they're in triple a at that point, 
yeah, I'll walk Vientos and go after the other guys. And I think that's, or at least pitch on the edges and go after the other guys. And that's what we're seeing. Final note on Vientos drafted in 2017, <clears throat> drafted in 2017, but still just 22 years old. So still yeah. extremely young. And that's important to watch too, because he missed a big year in 2020. So if he does have to spend a little bit more time in AAA, not the end of the world. Uh, a guy that's going to have to do some rehab starts in AAA comes in at 74, Edward Cabrera. Uh, but he's looked really good in the early going since returning from injury. And it was more of just like a shoulder discomfort, tricep discomfort thing. Uh, and that seems to be the trend for him early in the season. Often he just seems to have some sort of discomfort and his start gets delayed. Uh, but Edward Cabrera of the Miami Marlins, just a, another arm that has developed extremely nicely in that system. I mean, that's the one thing that they have done well. Uh, Cabrera's big league stint last year was not, you know, as exciting as we were hoping, uh, but that's okay. That happens. Uh, it was a big leap for him. He's a guy that's had some challenges with command at times. And I think that was uh, put on the forefront at the big league level. Uh, but Cabrera, when he's right, it's an upper nineties fastball. It's an electric slider. It's an above average changeup, and it's above average curveball. What else do you want from a six, five, 220 pound right-hander? Uh, durability. I, I think that's the only yeah. thing that you want from Edward Cabrera and the frame screams durability. You mentioned six, five, two twenty. Like that is the durability frame that Sandy Alcantara possesses in the same organization. So Edward learns something about throwing 200 innings from Sandy Alcantara. And then we can move from there. Um, Cabrera, the fastball slider combination on any given day is disgusting. It's, yes. you know, 98, 99 with the fastball and it's got great carry. Um, and then he snaps off that slider that, you know, drops guys to knees. When Edward Cabrera is firing on all cylinders, it looks a lot like what Max Meyer is doing at the moment. Um, Cabrera just has to get healthy. And I think this guy is really going to figure it out. And it's going to be Sandy-esque. I, I, I think that's the hope, you know, and durability is my only concern. I have no, uh, like you said, I, I don't have any concern about him figuring it out. And the thing is, is a lot of evaluators think the changeup can be his best pitch. And the fact that that's even a possibility, again, is a testament to how deep his bag is. How deep Learn it from is. Pablo Lopez, man. <laughs> oh, the Marlins can develop changeups. That's the one thing I always say. So, you know, I think the big question for Edward is, is health. And, you know, that's something that's really hard for us to be able to, to discuss in terms of what we can project on that. We can't. So, you know, we just hope he can stay healthy. But the things that are in his control for the most part, I feel like we're very confident in. But health is the reason why he's not higher on this list, frankly. Um, it's just I am concerned after it's now like three years in a row of, of some sort of, of discomfort, albeit he, he's avoided any catastrophe, but you get a little bit concerned when it keeps coming up. Yep, 100%. 73, a guy that I know you're going to like again, high floor college dude. Uh, maybe a little bit lower than others would have him. So I, I want to hear what you think about this. Austin Martin, uh, I have him listed as utility. Right now uh, on the Minnesota Twins, uh, he is maybe as good as it gets when it comes to approach, when it comes to instincts, when it comes to just knowing himself as a ball player. Uh, had a really good year last year in double A, 270, 414, 382 slash line. So a little bit of a testament to the lack of impact, but also a testament to the phenomenal approach. 25 extra base hits, 20% K rate, 14% walk rate. Uh, and also swiped 14 bags where the stupid rules for holding on runners did not impact double A as much. So uh, those were uh, legit 14 bags, which is important, actually, because he's not a burner. So that's a testament, again, to, to the instincts. Uh, really, for me, it's just the lack of ceiling that keeps him out because, again, defensively as well, he's not sticking it short, in my opinion. I think he can play there in a pinch, but he's more likely to play second, third or center. Bat doesn't profile for third. 
Center, we got to see a lot of development there because that's not a position you learn overnight. And second base, you don't see a lot of second base prospects on the top 100. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at on Martin. High floor keeps him on this list and puts him where he's at. I just, it's hard to justify him much higher. And I'm curious what you think. Yeah, so I think that Austin Martin is going to impact the Minnesota Twins in a very similar way to the way that Tommy Edmond impacts the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and Edmond does some things a lot better than Austin Martin, defense, uh, but Martin does some things better than Edmond, and that's play discipline. And Edmond is a very disciplined hitter, but Martin is next level. Martin had a, what, 14% walk rate last year in yep. AA? Like, he's got a sub-20% strikeout rate, and he's got a walk rate around 15%. So, you know, my thing with, with Martin is I'm actually with you. And like, I was, um, I, I think this is one of the guys that we disagreed on. I was like, Oh, I love ours. Austin Martin. Let's go. Um, I think that he's going to be a solid defender anywhere he is. I don't think he's going to be a great defender like Edmund, but I think his inability to do serious damage is going to be very similar to Tommy Edmund, right? He's not going to, what, what's his max home run output? 10. I think he can give you more. I, that's the thing is I think there's, there's, there could be 15 in there, but okay, in today's like, game could is be that, 15. Yeah. That's not I, that. That's not exciting. We were expecting Austin Martin to be an all-star and I think he's a good everyday player. I think he's going to have an everyday role in the league for a decade. Um, I don't think he's ever going to make an all-star game because he's not going to impact the ball and the game in the way that all-stars do in 2022 and beyond. And here's the difference is passable defense is not what Tommy Edmond gives you. No, Tommy Edmond gives you elite defense or yes. at least very darn good everywhere. Defense. No everywhere. gold glove defense at second base and very good defense everywhere else. And Austin Martin is fine everywhere he goes. I like Chris Taylor. Exactly. And so, you know, it's again, the, the challenge with these lists is balancing the floor with what you can dream on. The floor is great with Martin, but there's not much to dream on. And that's kind of where we're stuck. I think the fact that the Blue Jays parted with him, I know they got a really, really good pitcher in Jose Barrios, and you got to give to get. But, I mean, I think there's a reason why we saw the Blue Jays part with Martin and not Groshans, because Groshans you can dream on a little bit more. Um, but, again, his floor is a little bit lower. Like I don't think there's a scenario where the Jays are just ruining the fact that they traded Austin Martin. But they could say, hey, we could use that guy. But I don't think they're going to it's not going to rub in their face and be like, holy crap, we traded a superstar. Not right now. I think if Groshans doesn't turn into who they think he could turn into and Kevin Biggio continues to be the Kevin Biggio of this year and not 2019 and 2020, um, then I think we're having a different type of conversation where they're saying, damn, I wish we had Austin Martin. There's some security there. But as of right now, I think I'm good. Yeah. It's, it's fine, but still a top 100 guy and still, you know, a really solid floor. Uh, coming in at 72, uh, a, a guest on the call up and one of my favorite prospects in the game. One, because again, that interview, we talked about Michael Stefanik and, and how fun that interview was and how interesting. Joey Weimer was, was up there. It's one of the more interesting interviews I've done because everything about his swing is chaotic and yes. everything about his approach is simple. And it's just like this yin and yang that works beautifully in the batter's box. He could not have had a better first pro season than he had last year. Uh, and everybody that I've talked to that is either played with or against Weimer, he's one of my favorite people to just throw feelers out on just like, what's your thoughts on, on that haphazard guy at the plate? Cause he owns it too. He loves it. Like he, yes. he loves the Hunter Pence comps. He's an awesome guy. Uh, 
he, everybody says, I don't know how he does it, but that guy's a big leaguer. Like I, I've gotten that now like five times as replies from, from play, people that have played with or against him. Uh, Weimer's 6'5", 220 in the Brewer system. Uh, absolutely crazy raw power. Fourth round pick in 2020 because at the University of Cincinnati, we talk about guys not getting the ball in the air. He never got the ball in the air. And there was a really impressive data on his exit velos, but they were all on the ground. And so teams just like, we're not really that excited about him. Uh, he was okay when I saw him in the Cape, but man, last year, Jack, between low A and high A, 295, 403, 556 slash line, 27 home runs, 47 extra base hits, a 155 WRC plus. And when you look at his swing and see the chaos, 22% K rate, 13% walk rate. He knows how his swing works and he knows how to avoid swing and miss and how to consistently hedge that concern with outrageous slugging on contact. The, my main takeaway from your conversation with Weimer was the approach is so unbelievably simple for him. It's, you know, like you see all these moving parts and it's like, oh, this guy has to be a nut job. And he's just like, nah, I just see the ball and I hit it. Yep. That's it. I see. And he has, he, he looks at the scouting reports. He has, he has it in the back of his head, but that's all he really needs. Like he just needs to be aware of what they have and he's good. And, and just the fact that he's able to do that, not everybody has that, I guess, uh, privilege yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to do that and approach the game that way. Uh, it, it is unbelievable. And so the one thing that he really stood out with, and I think that really worked for him that he talked about on the podcast was he starts now very pre-stacked on his backside. Again, a guy leveraging freakish strength and freakish yeah. athleticism. He's above average runner too, and he can stick in center, which is crazy yes. given his size. He starts basically with all his weight already on his backside. So he's like, okay, I don't need to, to load and time all of this up. All he does is flick his bat as a timing mechanism, and his weight is already shifted back. So it's almost like he's already halfway through his load before he even starts his quote-unquote load. And that has really helped him be on time and simple. And the explosion, Jack, I mean, he hit 31 batted balls over 105 miles an hour last year and several, several, several home runs that were way, way, way above 110. Like one, we're talking 115s, 116s. And then the thing that stands out the most to me, against pitches 94 and above, 333, 467, 667 slash line. So if you say, gotcha. oh, the moving parts, who cares? <laughs> it works. Dude, that's the thing. If he saw 95 elevated and was underneath everything and late to it because of all the moving parts, okay, now reassess because everybody throws 95 and above. But if you crush 93 and above at the minor league level, I guarantee you he's going to see 99 from a starter and not be phased. And the beauty, the, the beautiful thing about Milwaukee is two of the four guys, five guys in the NL Central that sit 98 as a starter are on his team. He yeah. doesn't have to see yeah. him. Doesn't yeah. have to see Woodruff and Burns. So there we go. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about Weimer. And that was my main concern. That was the first thing that I asked you about when you brought up Weimer to me. I said, like, where's the Vila? Like a, a guy that moves that crazy. Yeah. Um, is he going to be late? Is he going to get blown up by stuff? And it's going to be like, damn, stop moving. And the answer is no, and a very firm no. But what about the breaking balls, Jack? 900 OPS against breaking balls and change-ups. So, you, again, how do you beat Joey Weimer? I have no freaking clue. Oh, and by the way, he said on the podcast, 
I want stolen bases to always be a part of my game. I take a lot of pride in it. 30 for 36 on stolen bases last year. There we go. Um, and he didn't even know about the rules. So <laughs> he didn't even know about the the uh, holding base runners on rules. He's like, I wish I knew that. I probably would have stole even more. So <laughs> he didn't even really benefit from it. Uh, coming in at 71, Arelvis Martinez, shortstop, Toronto Blue Jays. Probably not my my favorite prospect in the world. I'll be honest. Like he's lower on our list than, than other lists. One of those where I just can't ignore the production. I can't ignore the raw power and the potential, uh, but I am relatively lower on, on him just because he pulls everything. If you look at his spray charts, it's not really a spray chart. I call it a pull chart. And also, I mean, he's not sticking it short in my opinion. He's more likely to go to third, but you, it's really hard to not rank a guy in the top 80 when they hit 261, 345, 549 with 28 homers in 56 extra base hits between low A and high A as a 19 year old. Um, it's outrageous. So, you know, maybe I should just shove it, Jack. I, you, well, I say that to you about a bunch of other things. I won't say it to you about Aurelvis Martinez though. Um, Martinez, what I do like is the build. I, I think that the build is awesome. I think he is a, um, you know, bigger guy that is strong. He's a very strong baseball player. And I think that he's going to be durable. Um, and I think that he can put good swings on a lot of pitches. Having said that, I think that the pole thing is, is a big time approach thing. And I'm worried about his approach. I think that he lacks some aspects of a professional hitter. And I think that a lot of guys on this list are professional hitters. And I think that a lot of these young guys that you can, you know, get excited about are also professional hitters. They put together pro at bats. I don't see very many pro at bats from a Relvis Martinez. And that's my big knock. A hundred percent. And that's what I'm worried about at the next levels is like, he has been able to just pound mistakes and that's, that's a good quality to have, right? Hanging breaking ball. It's gone. He does not miss hanging breaking balls, but his approach is kill the hanging breaking balls, cheat for the fastballs and see how it goes. Changeups were a problem. He was three for 35 against them. Uh, and again, it, it makes sense when you're looking to pull everything. Almost every single one of his home runs were adjacent to the left field foul pull. Uh, and, and here's my, my thing with Martinez is you're not getting power. I mean, you're not getting defensive value. Uh, you know, he's going to be passable at best and he's not a great runner. So you're going all in on the power. And to me, there's a lot of guys like that in the game. Again, I'm going to rank him because of, of the upside, the youth, and already the production. And I think he could really iron out those things. Uh, but I'm definitely cautious with Aurelvis Martinez. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of reflected in the ranking because you're not really going to have anybody else uh, ahead of him that put up a better, you know, much or behind him, I should say, that put up a much better season. And as we're about to check in for number 70, Jack, uh, I had a feeling this was going to happen. You know, yeah. We don't want to rush through these guys and we end up spending more than a couple minutes on each dude. Uh, we probably need to break this up into more episodes. So I think we're going to go bonus episodes uh, over the next two weeks because I don't want to rush through Leo for Paguero. I don't want to rush through Shea Langliers at 69. Thank God we're on the same page here because I was like, all right, I... I saw that we were already at 45-ish minutes, and I said, okay, we could either give people like a two-hour episode right now, or we could just split it up into 10 at a time, and we can do more than three episodes a week. Like, Because I think if, if we take 45 minutes to talk about 10 guys, that's very beneficial. And the reality is, 
We talked about it at the top. This is your baby. I mean, you spent hours and hours and hours. I read a novella about the top 100 prospects while we were editing through this. So like, you know, we don't want to half-ass the conversation about these guys because there were so many more conversations that went into the write-up. So I'm right there with you. Why don't we do, you know, like, Oh, we could pump out like, you know, Monday through Friday, just like 45 minutes, just rolling through the top 100. And then we can get back to your regularly scheduled programming after that. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, it's fun because it, it gives us a little bit more time to go in a, a little bit more in depth on each of these guys, like we've been doing. And also, I mean, it's just an extra episode during the week. So we'll have another one for you tomorrow where we go from 70 to what? 61, 70 to 61, which is 10. Yes. That's not nine. That's 10. No, that's, that's 10, 10. players. It's crazy how numbers Should we count work. them out right now? No, no, no. I, be, I, I believe you. I believe you. Because I had to do it. I, I had to do it yesterday uh, or Friday when, when I did yeah. that. And I flew from 181. Uh, but I even realized then I was like, oh, man, this is going a little bit long here. Uh, so I hope you're okay with us breaking it up that way. Uh, we'll have a player interview on Wednesday. Uh, but tomorrow for Tuesday, we'll have 10 more uh, just detailed discussions on on these players. If we're a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, us going through the through these players, maybe we'll we'll do 15 or whatever. We'll kind of let the the amount of time we're spending on the players dictate the duration, but I'm going to assume that it'll probably end up being closer to 10. Uh, And we'll iron out a few more extra episodes for you over the next couple of weeks. And I hope you're enjoying us going through uh, these top 100 write-ups. Jack, any final thoughts before uh, we say goodbye for what is pretty much like 18 hours now. Yeah, no, I guess like talk to you in 18 hours, but also this is a very fun list of players. Um, This was, you know, your nice mix of high floor college bats, a la Freelick and Martin and the guys that you can dream on a lot. Pomaris, Brady house list goes on. So I, I love that mix and I love how you ranked them within the top 100 because that's the type of conversation you look at the risk reward. And if guys are high risk, high reward and lowest low risk, low reward, you know, how do you value that? And we talked a lot about the median outcome. We talk a lot about the 50th percentile outcome. And I think that a Brady House, a Gyro Pomaris, and an Austin Martin have pretty similar 50th percentile outcomes. But I can tell you very clearly the two to dream on as opposed to the other one. A hundred percent. And it's really fun trying to like explain how that all works and how they all stack up against each other. So we'll continue to do that uh, coming at you tomorrow and then a lot more episodes over the next couple of weeks. So hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to talking more prospects, more top 100 with you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.